Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. He called it an inflection point. An inflection point. President Joe Biden described the conflict in Ukraine as a historic inflection point that comes along every six or eight generations. He said we're at an inflection point in history. An inflection point in history. He made the comment during a visit to the Lockheed Martin factory in Alabama two weeks ago, adding that things are changing so rapidly that we have to be in control. I want you to get a hold of these words. The great inflection point that comes along only every six or eight generations, that would be somewhere between 100 and 200 years, friends. Then he said things are changing so rapidly that we have to be in control. But it's unclear what he meant by the inflection point. There's an ongoing battle, he said, between autocracy and democracy. He was referring, obviously, to China and Russia as enemies of supposed Western democracies. Russia is already treating the conflict as a de facto war against NATO, with Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov accusing the U.S.-led military alliance of essentially going to war with Russia through a proxy and arming that proxy. Biden also apparently acknowledged that very same thing, that the U.S. was engaged in a proxy war with Russia. In fact, as Mr. Biden spoke of China's role in the global order in Alabama, General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, told the United States Senate, the U.S. is now facing two global powers, China and Russia and that the two, the potential for significant international conflict between great powers is increasing. What does this mean? What is an inflection point? Well, it's a point at which everything changes. It's a modern concept, a modern term that is used to basically say everything is going to change. You remember when... Barack Obama was about to be inaugurated. He said, we're just five days away from the fundamental transformation of America. That was another way of calling it an inflection point. He claimed that his election was an inflection point for all of American history and perhaps world history. Indeed, perhaps it was. When he alone was referred to as Messiah... Dozens, if not hundreds of times across America and all over the world. Those times are cited with all of the quotes in several of my recent books. Inflection points. So what does this really mean for you and for me? Is this just an ongoing battle between autocracy and democracy? Referring to Russia and China as autocracies and everybody else as democracies? What are the implications here? As we move on here with our program today, you're going to discover that that concept of an inflection point 
is actually taking place in ways beyond which perhaps we have not considered. Perhaps we actually really are standing on the edge of eternity. Perhaps we really are in the final generation. So I hope that you'll stay tuned. You're listening to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation as always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms, and today is no exception. Referring to the battle between autocracy and democracy, one is hard-pressed to look at much of the Western world as true democracies. When you find that Mr. Biden himself was looking to control all conversation and anything that disagreed with his viewpoint was to be considered undeservable by the American people and to be called either misinformation or disinformation. How can such an attitude be called democracy? When Twitter and its leaders came out just recently and said it was captured on tape, actually said that Twitter is not about enforcing or even participating in democracy. Not really. It's about controlling free speech. It's about preventing free speech and only allowing those kinds of speech that support a very different kind of opinion, including their viewpoint of what the world should be like. So what should the world be like? Well, it depends on who you talk to. If you talk to the Joe Bidens of the world, the world should become a new world global order. If you talk to the Klaus Schwab's of the world, the world should become a new global world order. If you talk to the Bill Gates of the world, the world should become a new global world order. And indeed, if you talk to the Barack Obamas of the world, the world should indeed become a new global world order. As a matter of fact, most of the major leaders, the presidents and prime ministers of the so-called democracies of the world are not looking to retain their country's democracies, so to speak. They're looking to create a so-called one-world democracy, a merging of all so-called democratic countries into a one-world government or order. If that be the case, how would it happen? How would it be implemented? And are we there yet? That's what we're going to take a look at as we move on with the program today on Viewpoint. In front of me is this article that came out last month, Digital Programmable Money. An economist at the World Government Summit says that the new financial world order is about to shift in dramatic, a dramatic new direction. Did you hear those words? Let me repeat them. An economist at the World Government Summit said that the new financial world order is about to shift in a dramatic new direction. What in the world could that possibly mean? What could it mean for you? What could it mean for me? And what does it say about the generation in which you and I are living? Is this indeed the final generation? And if it be the final generation, 
What are the implications for you and for me and for your kids, your sons, your daughters, your your grandchildren, pastors, those sitting in the pews or surrounding you in the ministry that you're conducting? What are the implications for broadcasters, for publishers, for authors? You see, we're not living in a bubble. Or maybe we are living in a bubble, and that bubble is about to burst. Because the reality is, what's happening out there is far different than most people realize. And today on Viewpoint, if you listen to the entire of the program, you will indeed realize where we really are. What that inflection point really means. I hope you'll stay tuned. Again, you're listening to Viewpoint, and as we always say, Viewpoint does determine destiny. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismar, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. A writer back in 2010 wrote a very lengthy piece called Standing on the Edge of Eternity, The Last Days on Planet Earth. The writer says, without a doubt, one of the most significant prophecies of the Bible is the prophecy of the final generation. The generation that will be alive at the end of this age would be the final generation. Quoting Matthew chapter 24 and Jesus' words there in his Olivet Discourse there on the Mount of Olives overlooking the eastern gate of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount two days before his crucifixion says this, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So likewise you, when you shall see all of these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Truly, I say unto you, said Jesus, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. What things? What generation? We want to take a look at that in deeper context here today on Viewpoint. In order to understand this and sort of get into it just a bit, I want to take you to an article that came out just today titled, U.S. Treasury Chief Goes Overseas to Lobby for Global Minimum Tax. The U.S. Treasury Chief, supposedly dealing with the money and the economy in the United States, is going overseas to lobby for a global minimum tax. Does that leave you any mystery to understand what Mr. Biden and his administration are about? No, it's about globalism. It's about merging the United States and its economy with a new global order. So Joe Biden's Treasury Chief Janet Yellen is heading out on a trip to Warsaw, Brussels, and Bonn 
to lobby for a global minimum tax. So it's not enough to have increasing taxes here, including inflation, which is a insidious additional tax on the American people by printing more money and reducing the value of the money that you have. That's inflation. The New York Times said that Yellen's big chore during her first step or first stop in Poland is to get the global tax deal that she brokered last year back on track. So this is something that's already been in the works, and now Janet Yellen is being commissioned by Joe Biden to move into all the world, so to speak, that is the so-called democratic world, the nations that form NATO and the EU, the resurrected Roman Empire, to go into all of that Western so-called democratic world for a global minimum tax. In other words, that all those nations would function together as one economic system. Does that seem surprising to you? The report said that she got more than 130 countries to agree last year to her plan for a 15% global minimum tax that purportedly would eliminate tax havens. In other words, there always has to be a rationale. Anything can be justified when you want to justify it. Humankind is capable of rationalizing or justifying just about anything. We can justify absolute unmitigated sin, even in our churches, and do, from the pulpits of America. Well, God couldn't possibly have meant that. That's one of the ways that we do it. Whether you think that Joe Biden is the biggest problem here or not, I want to take you back to 2007. In 2007, we had another president that inhabited the White House. His name was George W. Bush. Do you remember him? His father, George Herbert Walker Bush, was the 41st president of the United States. Both of them were consummate globalists. In fact, their whole family are consummate globalists. Their granddaddy was a consummate globalist. So what did George W. Bush do? Let's put this in context so we don't put all the blame on Democrats. George W. Bush entered into a secret agreement with Angela Merkel and uh, Barroso of Spain, who were then heading up the EU. And here's what he agreed to. That within seven years from 2007 he would help to facilitate the merging of the economies of the United States and the European Union. Did you hear that? George W. Bush, a Republican, made a secret agreement. It wasn't a treaty. It was a secret presidential agreement to merge within seven years, the economies of the United States of America and the European Union. In order to help facilitate that, George W. Bush formed what was called the North American Union. 
the North American Union was composed of the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. He actually proposed a new currency called the Amero. A-M-E-R-O, the Amero. And facilitated the building of a major highway, Highway 35, U.S. 35, running from the Mexican border all the way up to Canada. It runs through Texas and all the way up to Canada. That was to facilitate the merging of the economies of Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. as one of the major steps toward merging the economy of the United States with Europe, the EU. So when... Mr. Biden, as a Democrat, and a very liberal Democrat at that, is talking about sending Janet Yellen to Europe for lobbying to a global minimum tax. It's not much different, is it? This is just one more effort to accomplish what George W. Bush was intent on accomplishing in 2007 by the year 2014. Here's the question that I have for you. Should the United States adopt a global minimum tax? Why or why not? Well, Janet Yellen has been focused on her new taxation plan since becoming Biden's pick for the Treasury Cabinet post. Unresolved are what income would be taxed and who would enforce it. Ah, enforcement. Taxes have to be enforced. What agency, what power base enforces United States income tax? The IRS, right? Is the IRS looked upon as one of the great uh, expressions of freedom and democracy? No. It's one of the most hated institutions in the United States of America. Now, I want you to write the IRS large over the so-called democratic world, i.e., the EU, NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, 30-plus countries, and the United States. Now the IRS becomes a global IRS, an infernal revenue service that is now going to enforce taxation globally. Do you think that's going to be lesser or greater freedom for the people? Is it going to be a lesser or greater expression of democratic freedom? You know the answer to that. You give the government an inch and it will take 10 miles. Once they get a a hold, you can't they let go. Therefore, what is actually happening here is the intentional push to a one-world global order as part of this major inflection point that Joe Biden talked about two weeks ago in his address down there in Alabama. You say, well, what does this have to do? You were talking about the final generation. 
Well, it has to do everything with the final generation. Because all of these things are talked about in the context of the Bible, the Word of God, with regard to that final generation. What will happen in our world? Joe Biden says, and to use his words, things are changing so rapidly that we have to be in control. Oh, what does it mean to be in control? Does it seem like he is in control? Well, it depends on how you look at it. What he's actually doing is ceding control from our country to NATO, to the EU, and to a new world order. That's exactly what he's doing. So when he says that we we have to be in control, he's not talking about the United States. He's not talking about your elected government. He is talking about the global elites that have the vision, whether it's Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum or whether it is uh, a celebrated economist at the World Government Summit this year. And that's where we're going to go next. Dr. Pippa Malmgren, a top American economist, who served as an advisor to former President George W. Bush, has made a statement. Here is the statement, that a cashless society is looming right around the corner. Now, we've been hearing a lot about a cashless society for years now. Well, it's here now. It's right around the corner. But what does that look like? What are its implications for you for me, for our world, and for this final generation. That's what we want to look at when we get back from this upcoming break. But Pippa Mulgram, the economist at the World Government Summit, this year stated her belief that the world financial system is about to switch accounting systems and digital money. Not decentralized cryptocurrencies, but centralized CBDCs, as they call them, central bank digital currency. What is central bank digital currency? CBDC. We're about to find out. And it isn't what you would think would describe a democratic government. It isn't what you would think would describe the pursuit of greater freedom and democracy among so-called democratic nations. So the reality is, when Joe Biden says that we're in the inflection point between autocratic nations like Russia and China, and that democratic nations, the NATO, the EU, America, and so on, are all merging together to defeat the autocratic nations. In response to that, these so-called democratic nations are in fact becoming more autocratic in the name of democracy. It's very deceptive, very, very deceptive, but that's what's happening. And as you listen to the statements made by Dr. Pippa Malgram, you're going to understand how amazing 
this new move, this inflection point, really is and its implications for our world. So, I trust that you'll stay tuned, and uh, I would urge you to seriously consider getting a copy of my latest book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. We actually probably should have written How to Identify the Soon-Coming Imposter. No, it's not setting forth the name of such a person. That is utter foolishness to engage in that kind of speculation. But the Bible does give us a lot of information about how to identify the character and spirit of that individual and his beast enterprise. $22 on our website. We'll put the book Antichrist in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. All things are coming together just as Jesus foretold, just as the Apostle John, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter foretold. It's happening right now in our generation and happening happening expeditiously, as Joe Biden declared two weeks ago, things are changing so rapidly that we have to be in control. He called it the inflection point. In other words, everything is changing from what you thought things were. Now, let's put this in the context just very briefly of the fig tree. The budding of the fig tree, which is a symbol of Israel and its position uh, in the world and in history. So what is this budding of the fig tree that the Bible talks about, that Jesus talked about? Well, if the generation that sees this budding is the final generation, then the last generation of this current age will tell us, what that budding is. And so we take, we see it taking place. Scripture interprets Scripture. The prophets of the Old Testament, among others, identify the fig tree as the nation of Israel. So we're shifting for just a moment to put this one world government, this resurrecting Roman Empire, in the context of what the Bible says with regard to Israel. The fig tree is the biblical emblem or symbol of the nation of Israel nationally. Very few people would would uh, uh, question that. When Jesus was coming into the city of Jerusalem, he saw a fig tree, remember? It had lots of leaves but no fruit, and he cursed it. It dried up, and 
it was symbolic of his going to Jerusalem, the capital city of the nation. Now, they had lots of leaves. The Jewish people did lots of leaves the nation Israel had, but no real fruit. They had religiosity, but no relationship with God. Not really. Still don't. But Jesus cursed that fig tree and spoke of the curse that was about to come upon that nation, Israel, and how they were going to go through some very terrible times. So, believe it or not, the nation of Israel still looks at the fig tree as a national emblem or symbol, just like America has the eagle, Britain has the lion, Russians have the bear, well, Israel has the fig tree, and it is the symbol not only of Israel, but it is a parable in the tree of the end times. The generation which sees the budding of the fig tree, that is a tree that seemed to be dead, lifeless, but suddenly comes back to life, like all the trees do in the spring, will be the final generation. Now we know that certainly since 70 A.D., when the Romans came in under General Titus and destroyed Jerusalem and took hundreds of thousands of Jewish people captive to Rome, took the uh, golden menorah captive, and uh, many believe that it is down uh, in the Vatican as we speak. But the reality is that since that time, Israel had no temple. They burned the temple. Israel could not have her uh, necessary, biblically mandated, uh, sacrificial uh, sacrifices for the cleansing from sin. Couldn't do it. So they had to substitute good works as a result. Well, now Israel has been reunited as a nation in on April 14th, 1948, And now the population of Israel is currently just under 10 million with close to 8 million Jews. This is a resurrection. This is a resurrection of a nation that was dead. The fig tree was dead. But now, just as the prophet Ezekiel spoke of in Ezekiel 37, it's coming back to life. The dry bones are coming back to life. Well, they're coming back to Israel. But Israel's spiritual condition is not yet alive because they rejected the Messiah. So they're in a very in-between situation. And God spoke prophetically back in Deuteronomy chapter 28 about the misery and the sorrow and the persecution and the problems that Israel was going to have because they rebelled against his word, his ways, and his will. But God said, in spite of that, I'm going to keep my word, I'm going to keep my covenant, and I'm going to regather the people. So the people have been regathered and are in the process of being regathered, and guess what? The war of Russia against Ukraine is causing many more Jewish people to make Aliyah or to go back to Israel. And as economic circumstances in the so-called Western world continue to become more and more difficult, Jewish people in 
various areas of the Western world, and especially in America, will finally decide, you know what, this just isn't worth it. We might as well just go back to Israel. We'll make Aliyah. We'll go back. And that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen particularly with regard to this move toward a new global order and the rise of gasoline prices to unprecedented levels, which is being done intentionally. It's being done intentionally so as to depress the economy of the United States and strong Western nations so that they all will cry uncle, so to speak, and be ready to be merged into this new global order. Now, that having been said, we go back to Dr. Pippa Malmgren, a top American economist who served as a special advisor to former President George W. Bush, who had a globalist vision, who also, by the way, said that Jews, Muslims, and Christians all worship the same God, And as if that were not enough, he went on to say that all religions worship the same God. What a globalist statement that was. So Dr. Malgram states her belief that the world financial system is about to switch accounting systems into digital money. Here's what she said. We are on the brink of a dramatic change. We are about to abandon the traditional system of money. And the new one, the new accounting, is digital. It means having an almost perfect record of every activity that happens in the economy. In other words, nobody can escape. Everything is recorded. So who is this Pippa Malgram? Well, she's a globalist and an elitist. She and her father, her father, Harold Malgram, was a senior advisor to John F. Kennedy, Richard Nixon, Linda Johnson, and Gerald Ford. She also has advised presidents and prime ministers all over the world. And listen to this. One of her favorite topics over the past two years has been this. The upside of COVID. Did you hear that? The upside of COVID. Now, what does she mean by that? Well, like Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum, she sees COVID as an opportunity to transform the world. That, my friends, is why Dr. Fauci and Bill Gates have pursued the agendas that they have, including the CDC, because they see COVID as a way to set the stage for an opportunity to transform the world into a new global order. The digital financial complex is a central bank of digital currencies. In fact, it will be the end of all democracy as we know it. In the name of democracy, it will destroy democracy. It will destroy the power of the people. It will destroy the authority of the people and repose all of that into a very small group of people who think they are God's representatives to the world, and therefore they don't even have to be concerned about God or what God says because they are gods. 
This new money money system that Malgram talks about with such enthusiasm is not going to be is not only digital, it's going to be centralized and listen to this word programmable. This is the key. Programmable. Don't confuse it with Bitcoin or all of these other cryptocurrencies. The only thing that they will share in common with other crypto is that it will be based on blockchain technology. So, let's talk about what programmable money is. Now we're starting to get down to the nitty-gritty here. This is the inflection. This is the major world change. This When Joe Biden says things are changing so rapidly that we have to be in control, this is the greater thing that he's really talking about and implying. This means the central banks will have complete control over your money and will be able to program it so that it can only be spent on certain things or in certain places. For example, have you purchased too many guns? Maybe too much ammunition from somebody else's viewpoint over the past month? Maybe you indulged in too much frivolous travel, or uh, maybe they consider you bought too much gasoline. Well, you can't buy any more gasoline, so they cut you off. Anytime you would go to buy gasoline, you won't be able to get it. You go to buy a gun, you can't get it. Go to buy more ammunition, you can't get it. But how about if you go to buy food? Oh, how are you going to do that? Because the money is digitized. And the only way that you can get the food is to be authorized to get the food. So what's the bottom line of all this? That's what we want to take a look at after this break, friends. Do we have your attention yet? Where does this lead you and me as followers of Jesus Christ? Is your trust quotient in the Lord strong enough to stand in such an evil day? Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's very hard for me to explain why. The Lord would call me in 1992 to leave the practice of law after 20 years at the height of my career to plead this ultimate cause of a lifetime to a jury of my peers 
the people, my fellow citizens in America, but particularly professing Christians. Why? I cannot explain why God would call me to do that, but he did. And the confirmation of that is so dramatic, I don't have time to go into it now, but we've shared it before here on Viewpoint, so dramatic that it left virtually no question that that is indeed what was called for. So here we are, after 27 years on the air, increasing the ante, up in the ante, pleading the cause of a lifetime to a jury of my peers, the professing church in America, and therefore, because of that, around the world. So that this program is now actually heard in over 100 countries around the world. By the way, if you find this program to be valuable, I urge you to tell your friends, your acquaintances, your relatives, and so on, your pastors, and so on, about it. Spread the news. Get the message out. Not everybody's going to be willing to listen, I can tell you that. But you do your part. We're doing our part here. You join with us as a partner. You do your part. You're not just partnering with us, you're partnering with the Lord to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. That's what you're doing. Don't hesitate to do that. With love and holy boldness, become a partner with us financially. We urge you to do that. Because without that, we can't stay on the air. But we persist. Day after day, week after week, month after month. That's what faith is, friends. That's what faith is. All right. I want to go back. As we're wrapping up here, to take a look at what Dr. Malgram, Pippa Malgram, is saying concerning this programmable money. The new system. It means the central banks will have complete control over your money and will be able to program it so that they can determine what things you can buy or sell, what things you have access to. So what's the bottom line then? Once we get digital programmable money, where and how you will be allowed to spend your money will depend on your social credit score. Well, that's what they do in China. So why is it that Joe Biden would say that we're setting up democracy against autocracy, autocracy being China and Russia, and yet we're doing exactly the same thing that China is doing, setting up a social credit score? In other words, do you fit or don't you fit into the new regime? So this money availability, the digital money availability, will be linked to your personal digital social credit score. Now here's what Pippa Malgram is saying. She's warning us. That system is right at the door now. 
And once it's here, it marks the beginning of the end because nobody is going to be allowed to buy or sell without becoming a digitized, shall we say, hybrid human being. You are a digit. You're no longer a person, per se. You're just a number. The vast majority of people are going to walk blindly into this digital trap that's being set by these global leaders only to regret it later. They're going to lose all autonomy. We'll lose all autonomy over our bodies, even over our minds. You'll not be allowed any kind of independent critical thinking. That will be utterly banned by the social credit score system. You have to be in 100% total agreement with the system. The Bible calls it the beast, the beast system. Now, traditionally-minded Christians and Jews are going to be banned from the system. Why? Because free thought that disagrees with the system, in whole or in part, is not permitted. So the talk will be about diversity and inclusion, but it's not real. It's a euphemism for a society based on total information domination. Isn't that what Joe Biden was trying to set up by appointing a head of disinformation, a whole new regime in our government? You might say, well, I heard that that woman has decided to resign and that they're going to put that system on hold. Yes, on hold. Until when? They haven't decided not to have the system. They're just putting it on hold. Obviously, that system was designed to be totally antithetical to democracy as you know it. It was designed for total government control. But they've actually told us what they're doing. Is anybody listening out there? They told us that severe food shortages are coming. They've told us that they're working on a new digital currency. They've told us a major cyber attack is coming that's going to target our banking and financial system that will provide the pretext for the new digital money system. I mean, what do you need to know? What more do you need to know? All right. That having been said, we're going to shift for just a moment because this has to have implications, not just for information, but for you and I, for transformation. The implication is that you and I must be prepared to respond, not by writing to our senators and uh, that kind of thing, but preparing our minds, our hearts, spiritually for this moment that has been foretold for thousands of years now, and specifically since Christ and his apostles spoke about it. Jesus said that this generation would be the final generation. He said, my coming is nigh even at the very door. 
Now, somebody might say, well, no man knows the day or the hour. But that's true. But we are supposed to know the season. We're supposed to recognize it. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, you shouldn't be ignorant of this. So what season is it? The season when the fig tree is blooming or blossoming. Israel is restored, is being restored, just has not been restored spiritually yet. That's going to happen. When there's a final earthly judgment on the Jewish people for the rebellion, prophesied by Zechariah the prophet, and then Christ, Yeshua, is going to show up at Israel's most existential moment, and they will look upon him whom they have pierced, as the prophet Zechariah writes in, uh, what is it, uh, Zechariah chapter 12 or 13, somewhere there, and it'll be the final generation. Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. How quickly is quickly? Well, it's been two days, 2,000 years, two days, a day with the Lord is 1,000 years, 1,000 years a day, two days since that happened. So from the Lord's perspective, it's just a couple of days. In fact, if you were to look at the prophet Hosea, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, He says, come and let us return unto the Lord, for he has torn us and he will heal us. He has smitten us and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And in the third day, he will raise us up and then we shall live in his sight. The third day. That's the day of resurrection, friends, on the third day. That's the day Christ rose from the dead. That's the day Israel had to be prepared for the coming of the Lord at Mount Sinai to get married, their betrothal, and it's the time when Christ is returning. The seventh millennium then begins the final week of creation. One thousand years, six thousand years from creation to now Israel being finally restored Jesus returns and there's a wrap up have you heard of Edward Gibbon he wrote the decline and fall of the Roman Empire not a Christian I have his books and I have a signed, uh, what they call it, an autograph by Edward Gibbon hanging on our gallery wall. Here's what he said. The ancient and popular doctrine of the millennium was intimately connected with the second coming of Christ. As the works of the creation had been finished in six days, their duration in their present state, according to a tradition which was attributed to the prophet Elijah, was fixed to six thousand years. By the same analogy, it was inferred that this long period of labor and contention 
which was now almost elapsed, would be succeeded by a joyful Sabbath of a thousand years, and that Christ, with the triumphant band of the saints and the elect who had escaped death or who had miraculously revived, would reign upon earth till the time appointed for the last and general resurrection. It's amazing what he would write. According to Edward Gibbon, the 7,000-year plan of God was carefully inculcated in the early church. That this has been the expectation. Do you have that expectation? So, what do we need to do? How should we respond to this? Well, let's suppose that you're 40 years of age and older. You better get radical about the Lord. You need to get zealous for the Lord. You need to realize that Jesus is coming very, very soon. You don't have time to play around anymore. Really don't. We have to get our values in complete order. Biblical values. We have to get our priorities right. We have to prepare the way of the Lord in our lives for history's final hour. We have to make worship and prayer a priority, but especially Bible study. We need to build and meditate upon the Word of God every single day. Because Jesus said, my coming is near even at the very door. Now, let's suppose that you're under 40. Maybe you're a millennial. Maybe you're Generation Z. Generation Y. What do you need to do? Time is short. Set your heart on things above. Get out of this world system. Keep eternity's values in view. Seek the Lord with a whole heart. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because, as Jesus said, my coming is near at the very door. As we have said for years now, people get ready. Jesus is coming soon. We'll be coming home. Will you? Don't answer too quickly. Are you one of the five wise virgins or the five foolish virgins that weren't prepared? Thanks for joining us. Get a copy of the book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter, $22 on our website, saveus.org. Call us 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us. Become a partner, friends. Do it today. Join together with other believers. And let's get the message out. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.